There is no book in the world so highly respected by those who know it as the Bhagavad Gita, sometimes also known as the Song of the Lord. And the more often we read it, the more we feel elevated to the regions of light and truth. The more we penetrate into the spirit of this knowledge, the closer we come to the knowledge of the divine principle of all existence, to a depth that remains impenetrable to natural philosophy. According to Western scholarship, the Bhagavad Gita was composed later than the Vedas and the Upanishads, probably between the 5th and 2nd centuries before Christ. It is a fragment, part of the sixth book of the epic poem, the Mahabharata. In the light of the Bhagavad Gita, the world appears to us as something very different and much more sublime than when we contemplate it from a material and scientific point of view. In the light of the Bhagavad Gita, we see a world full of light, joy, happiness, and life. Nature no longer appears to us as an imperfect fragment, but as a unity, as an organism that embraces everything as an active whole, penetrated by the Divine Spirit, which strives to manifest itself in all things. All the development so far was necessary to facilitate awakening of the Divine Spirit in the human being and to prepare him to fully recognize divinity in himself as the basis of his own true being and as the inner cause of existence. With this awakening of divine consciousness in the human being, life has an entirely new direction because the main purpose of our existence is neither the possession of external things nor the pleasure of the senses nor the satisfaction of our scientific curiosity. Instead, the true purpose of our existence is the knowledge of our own divine existence and realization of the consciousness of our immortality. Through the awakening of inner knowledge, we can rise above the limitations of theory and receive instructions from our own experiences, from the Divine Spirit awakened to self-consciousness in us. We can recognize our own spiritual being, and with it, the supersensible world of the spirit in which we dwell. However, such an awakening is not achieved without a battle. The Bhagavad Gita is a dialogue conducted on the battlefield. It addresses the warriors, warriors on the path of life. The divine light of truth penetrates the soul of a human being, but this penetration is hindered by a multitude of obstacles in the form of desires, passions, false concepts. The Bhagavad Gita teaches us who these enemies are and how to overcome them. It describes the battle between the immortal and the mortal part of a human being and indicates the way to the victory of the divine over the non-divine. Arjuna stands on the battlefield between the two enemy armies, 
one composed of the higher powers of the soul, the Pandavas, and the other of the lower powers, the Kurus. He finds himself threatened by selfishness, stubbornness, presumption, the illusion of himself, and by his passions, desires, emotions, hate, and anger. But on his side are also the brave warriors, the acceptance, love of truth, higher consciousness, faith, perseverance, sincerity, justice, self-control. Arjuna recognizes that the enemies with whom he must fight, although they may not be his own, are nevertheless his closest relatives and friends, and therefore they are part of his self. Realizing this, he then lacks the courage to fight and drops his bow, the will. At the same time, Krishna the divine man who dwells in man appears and instructs Arjuna on the true nature of man and his relationship with God. He explains to him that what the personal man has for his I is nothing more than an illusion. How all the conditions, passions, and emotions that result from this illusion are only passing phenomena, and through them, Man attains redemption as he overcomes them and unites with God. The dialogue in the Bhagavad Gita takes place in the first minutes of the battle. At first, Arjuna refuses to participate in it because he does not want to fight with his closest relatives, whom he sees in the front ranks of the enemy army. In the same way, the disciple on the path does not initially want to part with his old cultivated qualities. However, just as the voice of the rose of the heart prompts the disciple to take this necessary path, so does Krishna persuade Arjuna to fight all his adversaries, even those closest to him. The seemingly amazing position of God who is showing pity and compassion, who pushes a man to enter a merciless battle in the name of earthly goods, a kingdom, makes us perceive the entire event as a fight that takes place in the human heart. The enemies of the warrior personify various human selfish qualities that stand in the way of man's liberation. The enemies that prevent the awakening of the soul are numerous, so it is essential to know who the enemies are and their origin. It is easy to preach, curb your passions, love God, master yourself. But it is difficult to follow this advice if we don't know the nature of our passions and do not know why we should not satisfy them if we don't know where to find God and do not know the nature of our personality we have to overcome. To dominate oneself and one's nature, it is convenient in the first place to learn to know it. It is important, therefore, first to acquire a correct concept of the inner essence of man and of nature. And this cannot be achieved by the way of external observation. The long conversation between Krishna and Arjuna at the beginning of the fight 
takes place on the battlefield, which really is not at all a suitable place for long philosophical discussions. Experienced interpreters of the Bhagavad Gita suggested it, that in this work, as well as in the Bible and in other sacred scriptures, spiritual dialogues are not spoken about a particular historical event. These conversations are presented in the form of narratives to make the truth they contain more understandable. However, they don't emphasize things that happened at a certain time and that now belong to the past, but rather they indicate a continuous action of the law of the Spirit in nature. Just as a tree has not grown just once, for trees grow continuously, in the same way the battle between the Kurus and the Pandavas is constantly repeated in every man who strives to develop spiritually and furthermore, in the life of humanity, whose evolution is the result of the sum of the evolution of all individuals. Today, just as thousands of years ago, the spiritual light penetrates the human being who is sufficiently evolved to receive the light of divine thought, and every time man becomes aware of it, the Redeemer is born in him with perception of his divine existence. The Christian idea of the spiritual rebirth of a man is in principle the awakening of the consciousness of God in him, as it is allegorically represented in the New Testament. Therefore, each one of us is Arjuna, each one of us has a chariot, and in it each one of us also has the spiritual guide, Krishna, who gives advice to earthly man. When man consciously becomes one with the light who dwells in him, and Arjuna and Krishna, Adam and Christ agree to this union, then the chariot becomes the temple of God who dwells in us. Only by reunion with God, who is the truth, earthly man can reach perfection and redemption from error and sin. This battle between man's divine nature and his intellectual animal state is found allegorically represented in all the great spiritual movements. We will all find Arjuna within ourselves, struggling with a multitude of opponents, and we will hear the voice of Krishna the inner God who guides our chariot to victory. The fight takes place in the old man in the world of samsara, the world of time and space. It is not the relatives or Arjuna's neighbors who are his opponents. It is not about the earthly kingdom, but the divine kingdom. Arjuna, a warrior, a knight, is not an average person but an essential aspect of a new soul that wants to fulfill its life task. Participants in the 18-day battle are not independent characters, but different aspects of one man. The epic story presents the life path of every human being, his task and calling, and the possibilities of fulfilling this task. The key to understanding 
the Bhagavad Gita, as well as the Bible and other sacred scriptures, is the knowledge of the dual nature of man and the ability to distinguish in him the immortal from the mortal. Theoretical knowledge or the blind beliefs about the dual nature of man are not useful at all because they lack true perception that can only be reached through the experience. Theoretical knowledge is, however, not without value, because it leads a man to start searching and to embark on a spiritual path. However, all this knowledge becomes liberating only when it is confirmed by our own perception, when it is practiced in our everyday life. True knowledge does not consist of knowing what is said in the Bhagavad Gita or in the Bible, but consists of awakening the spirit through which the truth can manifest in man and become part of his being. In every man, there is a spirit spark of the divine self-consciousness. This spark is, as it is said in the Bhagavad Gita, the seed of immortal existence. Caught by the flame of divine love, this spark becomes a light in which everything variable disappears and in whose splendor the eternal reality is manifested. Each one of us is Arjuna, and each one of us fights in the battle with our own illusions, our own worries and doubts, desires, passions and mistakes. To know what this battle really means, we must perceive in ourselves the presence of Krishna, to sense what the reunion of God with man really is. If we want to unravel the intricate metaphor which covers the entire event on the battlefield, we must unravel the mystery of the battle itself. The heart of the Bhagavad Gita represents the decisive phase of one's life path, the path that ultimately leads to liberation in a long series of incarnations. In this decisive phase, the candidate struggling soul must overcome the I. And this I is not alone. It is surrounded by an army of relatives, friends, and allies. We are familiar with the words from the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life or words from the Bhagavad Gita. I am the highest in all things. I am the light in all things that have light. I am the origin of everything. I am the beginning, the middle, and the end. But these words have no use to us if we do not know what this I means, which is in all things, and therefore in us too, the light the beginning and the end. Of course, we will never find this divine self if we look for it only outside of ourselves and not within us, as God cannot be found either with the telescope nor with the microscope. Only he who has found himself in his true divine self, the self of all beings, recognizes God in all. The path that leads to this knowledge is taught in the Bhagavad Gita. It is the path of the truth and leads us from the abyss of illusions in which we all find ourselves to immortal existence in the imperishable reality.
because truth is reality and everything else is just a passing appearance. The truth is imperishable and therefore what is true in us cannot perish. Inner truth cannot be perceived by means of the outer senses and conclusions of such observations are always uncertain. The truth, on the other hand, needs no other proof than the knowledge one has of it. If we ourselves do not recognize such knowledge, it is of great value to consider reading the words of the sages who have perceived the truth and teach us the way by which we ourselves can obtain this knowledge which is the ultimate object of human existence. He who understands the secret meaning of the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita no longer needs the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita. But for those who do not yet understand it completely, the sacred texts are indeed useful to learn from. The Bhagavad Gita therefore teaches the most sublime of all sciences, the union of man with God, yoga, and the path of immortality. The yoga path is old and very famous. Overall, however, its profound meaning is dramatically simplified. The most famous hint to the meaning of yoga is found in the Upanishads, where yoga is described as the union union of Atman and Brahman, that is, the return of the individual Atman to the perfect world of Brahman. This return signifies liberation from karmic bondage. The term yoga also includes breathing practices understood as breath control, indicating the importance of what we take into ourselves with the breath, in what respiration field we breathe, and what we inhale. Therefore, yoga understood in this way as mentioned by Krishna, plus meditation, both require balance of mind, absolute purity and silence of heart, freedom from craving, cognition, mastery of the body and mind, and orientation to the rose of the heart. Each of us is Arjuna. Each of us experiences our struggles and even hesitations on the path. And each of us has in himself Atman, the rose of the heart, Christ, Krishna. We are invited to the battle which we would initially like to avoid, but in which everyone receives generous and reliable help because of the voice of the silence in our hearts. Having found the path and entered it, we hear for the first time the voice of the silence, the voice of the Master. Without that voice, no other helper or teacher will be able to do anything for us. <laughs>